wants to race. Race? That's ridiculous. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Put your window down! You want something? Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He says we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Terrific. Thank you. <laughs> what a moron. You're going in the wrong direction. You're going to kill somebody. Beltram. I'm one of your ministers here at Hope Ankeny. Usually on Wednesday nights, I am here with the students or with the kids, uh, but it's a real special privilege to be able to be here with you tonight for Ash Wednesday. So I'm so glad that you're here. Obviously, planes, trains, and automobiles, not the most seasonal choice for a 60-degree spring day. Usually that's the kind of humor that gets you through like the darkness of winter, but actually... We have kind of some hard stuff to talk about tonight, and a little bit of levity can be a fun way to start it out. And honestly, what clip could better prove the point that it does no good to be right if no one will listen to you? Because obviously, Del Griffith was, was not going to hear. And if you are a parent, or if you've been around kids very much, you probably know exactly how that feels, right? So this may, not, may or may not be exactly your story, but uh, I once had a very hard-headed toddler. And um, she, she was just kind of bent on tasting everything. So if you've ever had a kid that ate something unusual or disgusting, I would actually love it if you would share that with me because it might make me feel better about that season of life when I was just constantly having to tell her, yucky, that's not food. Don't eat that, you'll get sick. And it was not a successful thing for me to try and tell her that because here's some of the things that she consumed. Pill bugs. You guys, she liked pill bugs. I couldn't get her to give them back. She just chomped away at them. And then, of course, there was that really special time when we got to take her to the ER because she sampled hand sanitizer. And just for reference, in case you ever wondered, the people at Poison Control, they're actually really nice. So there's that. And then, and then there was that time. There was that time when I looked over, and there was my child 
popping a dog turd in her mouth. I don't even know for sure if it was the way I lunged at her or the taste, but she spit that out fast. And it did kind of slow her down on like putting weird things in her mouth. So that was good. But uh, now that I've totally grossed you out, we can actually get to the point, right, about Ash Wednesday. Because here's the thing. Um, it's a messy message. The fact of the matter is, we are human, and we sometimes, oftentimes, we go the wrong way. And God knows the right way for us to go. And he tells us what that is. So when we go the wrong way, we call that sin. And we're going to have to choose whether we want to let God guide us, whether we're going to listen to his good advice, or whether we're going to just keep going the wrong way and not heed the warning and turn around. To, get a, to, get, to really get to the point of Ash Wednesday, we do have to deal with some uncomfortable realities about who we are in the scheme of things. So in today's passage, God gives the prophet Jeremiah a living sermon about this reality. God actually tells Jeremiah to go down to the pottery shop. And I think that's awesome. God sends Jeremiah on a field trip. Isn't that cool? God could have just told Jeremiah whatever God needed to say, but instead he sent them so he could see for himself. And I think that's actually a really good way to learn. So we're all going to pack up and we're going to go to the potters. No. The next closest thing to taking you on a field trip, right? A documentary. So take a look. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the shop where clay pots and jars are made. I will speak to you while you are there. So I did as he told me, and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making was marred in the hand of the potter. So the potter squashed the jar into a lump of clay and started again. Then the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Yeah, so you're in luck. I've taken some classes in Old Testament studies so I can explain this very complicated metaphor. Just kidding. <laughs> it's pretty obvious, right? So God, God is the creator. God is the potter. And we, <laughs> we are the creation, the lump of clay. That's what God shared with Jeremiah and that's what we need to understand, too. And, of course, I say that it's super easy, like the metaphor is easy to understand. But in reality, if it was that easy for humans to apply this information, then God would not have needed to call Jeremiah and send Jeremiah to the potter shop to get the message. So 
It's just a fact. It's something that we don't like hearing any more than we like hearing someone from the back of the car yell, you're going the wrong way. We don't like it. We don't want to hear that God is God and we are not. But here it is. God is it. God is in charge. God created this universe, this world, all these people who are in it, and God fully understands how it is supposed to work. And God has the power to start over with us if we get too far off the mark. God can crush the clay and just start over. Oh, yeah, and bonus, you all are just well-formed dirt. Isn't that nice to know? Me too, though. So, okay, we got that over. That's like ripping the Band-Aid off, right? And you might think, if that's the case, then we should all just brace for the crushing, right? God's about to take us out. After all, we are powerless and sinful. But God tells Jeremiah that there is something that people can do to change his mind. Therefore, Jeremiah, go and warn all Judah and Jerusalem. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. I am planning a disaster for you instead of good. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. Yuck. You don't see people putting that on t-shirts and mugs, do you? I mean, there's another verse from Jeremiah that we love, right? The one about, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. We like that one. But this one? I mean, who wants to hear that God is planning a disaster for us. But that's our Ash Wednesday theme, disaster ahead. And if you stop and think about it, you can probably figure it out. What disaster are you headed for? What is it? Are you keeping secrets that could upend your family? Turn around. Are you consumed with a rage that boils over and hurts people? Turn around. Are you constantly comparing yourself, your life, your children, your siblings, your car, your house? Are you comparing them to your neighbor, to the people around you, or to the people on your social media feed? Are you doing that and stirring up jealousy and discontent, stealing joy from yourself and others? Well, if you are, turn around. And those are just the things that we're doing as individuals, right? This world, there's some ugly stuff going on right now because of the ways that we collectively are off the mark, not doing what God has called us to. So take a moment for yourself. Think about this. I can make some stabs at it. I can make these guesses. But only you really know only you know what's really in your heart. So what is it? What is the hang-up that you keep going back to? Because I'm here to tell you, whatever it is, now's the time. Turn around. Turn from your evil ways and do what is right. I mean, it's a good warning. Don't put stuff in your mouth that's not food. Don't go the wrong way on the freeway. You're doing things that will lead to disaster. So turn around. And when you do that, we call that repentance. I mean, that's also what Ash Wednesday is all about. 
our need for God to help us turn this thing around. So I got a little hung up on that phrase, turn around. So I did a word study, and the Old Testament, it wasn't written in English. It was written in ancient Hebrew. And so the word turn in the verse, well, it's actually a translation of a Hebrew word called shub. It's a verb, and I thought maybe you might want to say it just for fun. You want to? Shub. It's really easy. Do it again. Shub. Yeah. And shub, it's, it's actually kind of a commonplace word. It's used a lot in the Old Testament, and it's real straightforward. It just always means to turn or to turn back. So it comes up in these mundane places, like when waters recede or when someone's left home and comes back home. It's just literally to turn around. But shub, shub gets a little more serious when it expresses something about our relationship with God. Only then does it sometimes get translated as repent. Because when shub is used here, it's not just about pulling a yui. Turning around, in this case, is the decision to align with God and do what is right. So Jeremiah warns, don't get crushed and recast. Turn around. You're going the wrong way. But like Dal Griffith, <laughs> the people in Jeremiah's time, they didn't listen to him. They blew it. And eventually they experienced exactly the kind of disaster that Jeremiah had told them they would. They were conquered. They were exiled. And all of this had happened a few hundred years before Jesus. But just like Jeremiah said about crushing and recasting the clay, God eventually did restart the whole thing, renew, change the way, and he did that by sending Jesus. So that makes it interesting because when you get to the New Testament, you also get a new word for repent. Literate people in New Testament times wrote in Greek instead of Hebrew. So in the New Testament, instead of shub, the Greek word that's used for repentance, we use a new one. Metaneo. It's a little harder than shub, but it's also kind of fun to say, so you want to try it? Metaneo. Yes, metaneo. And it doesn't mean turn around. Kind of interesting. Unlike shub, the verb that is about doing something to be right with God, well, here in the New Testament, now Jesus is coming, and the word metaneo is about who we become. It's kind of an inside-out kind of thing because it means to change one's mind. And you can think about how different this is. Students, if, if you've been paying attention on Wednesdays, we've talked about this a few times because Jesus raised the bar from just avoiding what's wrong, turn around, to having a heart for what is right. Don't just turn away from the evil that you really desire. Instead, change your mind from even wanting it. And Jeremiah, prophet that he was, he saw that this was coming. In the midst of all this mess that he's seeing, in the midst of the mistakes that God's people were making and the disaster that resulted, Jeremiah also predicted that God was about to make some changes. Some, some fundamental changes about how humans and God would relate to each other. 
So here's an example from Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is like what Scott preached about last weekend. Um, And if you missed it, you should definitely check it out on YouTube because we have this awesome opportunity that we get to live out of a new identity. We belong to God. God loves us. I mean, instead of just leaving us to just mess up over and over, trying to follow the rules that we just seem to resist, you're going the wrong way. What? How do they know where I'm going? Instead, we have this opportunity to let God change our minds, to have God's ways written on our hearts, to become new and different people from the ones who were on a crash course with disaster. Because now we're on a crash course with forever. We're God's own. Other places in the New Testament call us a royal priesthood, God's beloved children. I mean, it's a new call. Repent. Change your mind. Disaster is ahead, but disaster does not have the final say because God wants to help you turn around and start in a new direction and stay in that new direction. See, it's sustainable this time because you haven't just changed your behavior. You've changed your mind. That makes such a difference. So the bad news is the good news. You're just a lump of clay. God made you and brought you to life. The same goes for me. But it's God's life-giving breath, the Spirit of God that makes all of us so much more than dust. Chances are there is disaster ahead of us, but if, if we keep going the way we're going, but it doesn't have to be that way. That's what we're here to celebrate today. From dust we've come, to dust we will return. And in a few minutes here, we are going to be coming forward and having ashes mark our foreheads as a sign of our confession that we are dust and we know it. But even as we start the season of Lent with this ritual that acknowledges that God is God and we are not, those same ashes are marked in the shape of a cross. Even as we come forward to accept our ashes and admit our human frailty, we are claimed by the hope of Jesus Christ, who through the Holy Spirit can not just change our behavior, but can change our hearts and minds. Starting on Ash Wednesday, a lot of people, they will uh, follow the old tradition, or maybe it's not an old tradition, well, it's old tradition, but it's a current tradition too, of giving something up for Lent. In fact, I bet some of you have probably already made the decision that you are going to turn away from the evil of chocolate. And also maybe pop. And obviously, that is not a bad thing to do. I mean... We just had a whole sermon series about becoming the healthiest version of ourselves that we can. That's super valuable. But a lot of times we treat Lent like it's another New Year's. 
Like it's another self-help season where we focus on our own self-control, where we set up rules and then we try to follow them. So what if in addition to all that shub repenting, all that turning away, we also try some metaneo repenting? What can we do in the next six and a half weeks to hear more clearly what God has to say to us? How can we give God the chance to reshape us, to change our minds and soften our hearts? What would that look like? I'm sure you're probably not surprised to hear that I have some examples, some ideas, some things we can try. It's probably ridiculously predictable, some of what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. So one of the things that we can do is to make an intentional effort to be among the people of faith. And you're, you're all here right now, so I think you all have a sense of this. I completely understand that between now and Easter, there's spring break, show choir shows, basketball tournaments. I mean, there is all kinds of stuff that we have to navigate between now and then. But you guys, Pastor Mike and Pastor Scott, Eli and Ashley, remember Ashley? She's coming back to us, you guys, and she's going to be in the pulpit during Lent. These awesome faith leaders, they want you to hear about how to have a deeper walk with Jesus. And they are so smart, and they so earnestly want to help you make God a closer, more important part of your life. So yeah, I think you're going to want to be here. You're going to want to gather together to sing and pray and learn. And I think, I think maybe God could even change the way you think that way. Something else kind of personal to me that um, God has really used to change the way I think is just a practice of daily gratitude. It's so simple. You just pick a time of day and you think of something that you're grateful for and you thank God for it. I mean, that's so easy, but it can give God an opportunity to show up. It gives God an opening. You could even step it up one and do a journal. Um, There was a season of hard knocks that I went through that I was really struggling with discouragement. And so I just started looking up like how I could make that better. And I found an app that's on my phone now. It's it's really hard. You're not going to be able to find it later. Pay close attention. It's called Gratitude really tough. But the gratitude app is cool because it gives me a prompt every day for it to help me think of something. So I never have to worry that I'm going to draw a blank. And it keeps me from being repetitive. I come up with new things that way. So it's kind of a cool app to have. And the other thing I love about it is because I can scroll through and I just, I just put like a sentence a day in there because I want it to be really simple and easy. But when I scroll through, it's just this catalog of God's blessing. It's just all of these sunsets and moments with my loved ones and just these precious details that are captured there that I can appreciate and remember that that God loves me, that God's taking care of me and looking out for me. And so God has just used that over and over again for me. And maybe he will for you. So have I overloaded you with ideas yet? No, of course I haven't. I haven't even gotten to the obvious ones. Yeah, I know that I tend to hear God's calling more clearly 
when I spend time daily in scripture and prayer, right? I mean, not in a legalistic, if I don't do this every single day, I'm condemned kind of way. And also not in that, if I do it every day, I'm better than everybody else kind of way. More in that, if I bookmark this page, I'll see it every day when I go to play Wordle. Right? Because honestly, I want to be as faithful in hearing what God has to say to me as I am to the daily word puzzle. And I can tell you this, I've been very faithful to that puzzle for the last six weeks. So I'm pretty confident that I can find the time to read a verse and mutter a prayer pretty much every day for the next six weeks. And it doesn't have to be hard. I mean, did you know that hope goes to the trouble of giving a daily Bible reading and a daily Devo on the website like every single day? I actually threw them on QR codes for you because that way you can just aim your camera at the screen right now and bookmark the site. Seriously, it's that easy. It'll be right next to Wordle. You can do this. I'll wait for you. Pull out your phone. It's good. And while you're doing that, let me tell you about another reason why I think that it is awesome to come be a part of weekend worship around here. You guys, we celebrate communion every single weekend at Hope. The 8 a.m. service every weekend, even when the rest of the services don't. So honestly, like you may, this, this may not register immediately, but think about this. If you've been taking communion for a really long time, can you remember the first time you took communion? If you were a kid in church, do you remember when you saw the adults taking communion and you thought to yourself, I wonder if it tastes different. Do you remember that? Or when you thought, I wonder if, I wonder if I'm going to feel something the first time I take communion. Do you remember when it was a mystery? When you had an expectation? What if we, what if we have that expectation again? Anticipating, watching, listening, savoring, expecting God to do something. Now, I came out of a tradition where the Lord's Supper is actually considered to be purely symbolic. It's this practice that we do just to remember what Jesus did when he gave his his body and blood to form a new covenant with us. But all the metaneo, all the changing of our minds, all the turning around, according to that tradition, it feels kind of done. Like, Like we just take communion to just be glad that it happened. And for a lot of people, that doesn't bother them. And it's not heresy to believe that. It's, it's not Lutheran to believe that, but it's still Christian. But it always bothered me. It did. It bothered me because I believe that when we take part in the special practices that Jesus gave us, well, that's just it. We're, we're taking part. It's together between us and the Holy Spirit. I mean, and listen to this. It says in 1 Corinthians that every time you eat the bread and take the cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. I mean, think about that. We are proclaiming what Jesus did for us when we take communion. And we are claiming that he will come again 
I just love that. I love it. I love it because it's not passive. Because it's not just remembering. It's active. It's doing. It's this opportunity to encounter God. To participate with God in being the church. And experiencing that God is here and active and on the move and for us being a part of that. So given all of that, you can probably guess that I am also super excited that starting today, we get to resume the practice of coming forward to receive the elements. Now, we're, we're not going to be dipping our wafers like we used to, at least, at least not yet, but the ushers, they will help you come forward row by row to receive your wafer, receive your small juice, um, and also to receive your ashes, accepting with them that you're a lump of clay and you're just waiting to be turned and shaped for your mind to be changed, to be more like Christ. I love that we get to be active again for communion, that we get to approach the altar that each one of us gets to come close to receive these gifts. This, this is a chance for us to put into practice that our relationship with God is both our choice to move and a gift, a gift of grace that we can only receive through God in Christ. So turn around, Hope. See how God can change your mind Let's start this Lenten journey by giving the Holy Spirit as many ways as possible to draw us closer to Jesus. And let's start with the ashes and Holy Communion.